What's up, everyone? You have somehow accidentally fallen across uh, our threshold, being the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. And I'm Alan Joaquin. And we are very happy that you have decided to join us, whether for your morning commute or your going home commute, or you're just sitting there having a nice cup of Jew. Morning Joe, your favorite show, right? Or taking a bath and sipping on a little Zinfant. <laughs> I hope nobody's doing that right now. Well, if a lady is doing that, that's fine. If it's a guy doing that, I have just put a terrible image in my head. Especially if it's a bubble bath. We don't want to know about it. I'd rather a bubble bath than no bubbles. At least there's some some coverage. (laughs) All right. All right. Today we're going to be talking about President Trump. CNN's Jim Acosta and the First Amendment, uh, being the freedom of speech and freedom of the press. This is extremely important. We've got a little situation going on. We've got a new development uh, that has taken place. Uh, As we all know, well, I'll let you get on the the new development, but just to preface, just in case you've been hiding under a rock, uh, Jim Acosta and President Trump had a bit of a skirmish not too long ago during one of the press conferences. And uh, after that, President Trump said, uh, yeah, revoke this guy's press pass. He's not coming over anymore. Uh, Jim Acosta and, well, CNN sued uh, the White House. And what happened next? Well, what happened next was that a Trump-appointed judge by the name of Timothy Kelly at the uh, district court in D.C., stated that Acosta can go back. It was a temporary, kind of like a temporary injunction. It wasn't a permanent, this is it, no, um, you know, you go by these rules. Uh, it was a temporary fix for CNN, a small victory for them, that stated that uh, his, his pass has been reinstated. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that he has to be called on. Mm-hmm. He can be ignored the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was affirming to some extent the uh, the freedoms of the First Amendment. Yeah, you know, and that's what I was thinking. I mean, if anything, I don't think uh, President Trump had to revoke his um, his press pass. I think that was I think that just added fuel to the to the fire. Uh, what I think is he should have just gone with if he doesn't like at the questions that Acosta is asking or the way he's asking it, uh, just don't don't call on him. You've got a ton of other reporters in there who have a ton of other questions uh typically they're pretty much all the same questions that are being asked um so i think i think the whole revoking the press pass was maybe not a mistake but maybe he was wanting to send a statement saying look uh if you act the fool we will have you you know (laughs) we won't we won't let you in and during that, if you've seen the the exchange between President Trump and Acosta, uh, <laughs> it's sort of like Acosta just lit this fire, man, and everybody started acting the fool. I, I just, what do you think about the way that these press conferences have been going? I I don't rem, you know, it's not like I've ever covered the president, but I don't really remember um, the press acting along these lines. What do you think? Well, I've been watching press conferences as far back as I can remember was uh, Jimmy Carter and okay. even Gerald Ford. Mm-hmm. Now, I 
I don't recall seeing hostility to this level. I do remember Sam Donaldson and uh, Ronald Reagan going at it, but it was kind. It it was a lot more respectable. Um, you know, when Reagan during Reagan's press conferences, he always uh, called on that uh, that uh, Helen lady from the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, Helen Thomas. Helen Thomas. Thank you. It was always a, you know, it was a back and forth, but it was a respectable mm-hmm. um, back and forth. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing with uh, President Trump, I don't see any type of respect. In fact, you know, I, I've had many discussions with uh, Facebook friends and friends of friends regarding what we saw. And I think a majority of the people that I've been debating who are even on the left They'll even agree that Acosta was being very rude. Mm-hmm. Now they'll state that you know, you know, Trump is known for being rude. <clears throat> True, of course. Yeah. But, but I haven't seen anybody denying they're not using the First Amendment defense as much as they are admitting. Yeah, yeah, he was. He is kind of. Uh, you know, I can't really use the word, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but being in being a yeah a hole. What can we use? <laughs> this is a podcast. Yeah, you... well, let's just keep it clean because we yeah, may have kids. We also. do have kids. Um, no, and I think that's what it comes down to. Um, is even if you don't respect the person who is in office, and I think that is pretty rampant among reporters as of as of right now with with the current president in office. There is not a lot of respect. Uh, shown him and um, one I, I I would just say that is it's completely unfair um, because one you have to respect the office if anything you need to respect the office it's mm-hmm. look there's a difference in asking a disrespectful question and being disrespectful does that make sense like Maybe not a disrespectful question, but a hard question. There's nothing wrong with asking a hard question that you know is probably going to get under this person's skin. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of questions out there that President Trump is probably very tired of hearing and answering. And those are the questions that get under his skin. But who cares? Well, like, he, he did answer them. Right. There was, uh, you know, we saw the press conference. A couple of things that I noticed was that there were some reporters that would get up and try to ask a question and they weren't even called on. Um, but people who asked about, you know, Russian collusion or asked about the uh, illegal immigrants, he did answer the question. He did, um, th- you know, he did talk with them. He did right. go back and forth with these reporters. He didn't just shut them down and say, I'm not going to answer your questions, yeah. you know, so... And the fact is, here's just the, the simple fact. Um, this current president gives a ton of access to reporters. He is, and I think, one, he, he loves the camera. I think we already know that. Um, his entire life has more or less been, to an extent, in front of the camera. So he has no problem with being in front of it. Um, but he gives a ton of access to reporters to ask any of the questions that he, that he wants. Now he will he will you know fight back or bite back <laughs> with them. I, I remember he was he was about to leave. Um, uh, I forgot where he was going, Paris or, or something, and he had reporters asking him a question, and I, it was pretty funny because somebody um, it was 
Sessions had, I think, just been, he had just resigned. Um, and so they were asking him questions about Whitaker and, and all this. And the reporter asked, hey, are you going to rein in uh, the the Mueller investigation? <laughs> and he says, what a stupid question. That's a stupid question. But I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, look. Everybody who says, well, we have a, a rude president or whatever, I, they have a valid point. Like he he is he has said he has spoken his mind before he was president, you know, on the campaign trail. And obviously anybody who ever watched him beforehand, like on Home Alone 2. I remember that. Actually, he was, pl- really, he was really the, nice to Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, he was actually quite kind. Um, but he's always been very opinionated. Um, and it's not like just because he's gotten on you know, become the president. Now he's on, on Twitter. He was always tweeting just some of the most, you know, his his opinions on different things, and that has not stopped since he's gotten into office. However, it does not excuse uh, the behavior that we typically see among reporters. Like, look, you're not bigger than the game. Sorry, you're not. Well, there were a lot of, um, there was a lot of criticism against Acosta when, they were saying, look, this is not about you. This mm-hmm. is not the Jim Acosta show. Right. Uh, you're supposed to be, what, given two questions? Mm-hmm. Then sit down. There were a lot of reporters in there. Right. A lot who had of, questions. Who had questions. And they, I mean, you could tell, even when when uh, Trump and Acosta were going back and forth, you could see many of the journalists raising their hands because they want to be called on. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't monopolize the whole press conference. This is not about you. Right. I, I, I'm all for asking the tough questions. I believe it's important. The reporter is supposed to ask the tough questions. Mm-hmm. This is why it's the first amendment to the Constitution. Yeah. It's not one of the uh, later ones. It's, the, it's on the very first amendment because the reason for that amendment is that there needs to be a watchdog. Mm-hmm. The, the press is the watchdog to right. help the people out. Mm-hmm. They have a job to do, but that doesn't mean you abuse the power given to you. Right. And I, you know, I, look, I, I've seen one-on-one interviews where uh, I've seen dodgeball questions and I've seen some really, really tough questions. Mm-hmm. I think Leslie Stahl asks some pretty tough questions. Um, I, I don't re- remember seeing him being rude to her. He might have stated an opinion that he thought of of uh, some some either some of the questions or about sixty minutes in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But overall, he answered the questions, yep. and everything was quite civil. But for me, what I saw uh, Acosta do, if this was our company, mm-hmm. and we saw a guest behaving in that manner, he would be escorted out of the building. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, and ask the tough questions, but if you are in a room full of reporters and there are scores of reporters in there, you're allowed, what, two questions? Ask your two questions and move on. Go to the next one. Let the other guy have his chance or let the other lady have her chance. Now, it's my understanding that because of what took place... And Acosta having to come back, President Trump has decided, okay, we are going to establish rules yeah. for the reporters, as he called it, decorum. Right. 
now is being imposed. Everyone's going to be punished because of, because of Jim Acosta. Because of Jim Acosta. Yeah, and it's sort of like when you were in you know elementary school, Correct. and you got one kid. Like everybody wants to go outside for recess, but then you have one idiot kid who just keeps acting the fool and ruins it for everybody. Yeah. So okay, now we got to stay in and finish our homework. No, whatever. We got to do that. The thing is, I think I think Jim Acosta and and I think he may have gotten the filibuster rule uh, confused with what he was doing and yeah. filibustering until this whole press conference is over. You know, like. <laughs> I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to grandstand until I got to, uh, when I get to go home. I think sometimes reporters are getting to the point where, yes, it's more about them than the job that they're supposed to be doing for us, the American people, which is getting to the bottom of things, asking questions and getting answers um, that we need to know. And sometimes, look, a lot of times that politicians and, and government officials are not going to be answering the questions just so forthright and saying, okay, here's exactly what is happening. So sometimes you have to reword those questions. But yeah, this whole situation uh, got out of hand. Um, he was had his you know, press pass revoked. Now he's back in. CNN made a statement um, through one of their lawyers that it could have, if if he wasn't let back in, it could have a chilling effect. Now, listeners, chilling effect is actually a legal term that references speech, uh, particularly uh, freedom of speech. Uh, speech. Speech? Speech? What am I even trying to say? Speech. Uh, it could have a chilling effect on speech and uh, freedom of speech, which means that people are sort of afraid of saying what they need to say or asking the questions that they need to ask uh, government officials. So there have been a history of reporters that have been um, removed or had their press pass revoked. Um, Helen Thomas actually almost had hers revoked, but she resigned uh, before they could actually really do anything. I think she had made some anti-Semitic comments I remember uh, that. back in the Dizay, um, which is frowned upon obviously um but yeah there there have been a number of uh, people who have been sort of like hey yeah don't come back you know i remember uh watching jimmy carter when he was president and i believe his press press secretary was jody powell when they had press conferences it got chaotic you know mm -hmm. people reporters are jumping over each other mr president mr president you know and and they're sitting and they're screaming and uh, and then Ronald Reagan becomes president. Um, whether it was him or Larry Speaks, who was his press secretary, he would. Isn't that a fitting last yes, name? Yes, yes, it is. Speaks. Kind of like uh, was it Doctor Oct or whatever his name was from uh, Spider Man? That's another story. Okay. Eight legged man. Yeah, well, that's also a fictional character that we're talking about a real oh. human being. But that, that was his that was his name, Larry Speaks. And when, when Reagan and Larry Speaks were on, there was, um, reporters had to raise their hand. Mm -hmm. And I remember when Ronald Reagan, he'd say, okay, he always called Helen Thomas first. Always. She always got the first question. But then after that, he would, okay, and he would say, Mr. So-and-so or Ms. So-and-so. And he would point to them. 
And then they would stand up because everyone's sitting down. He'd, they'd stand up, ask a question, and then that was it. Mm-hmm. The only time I saw any kind of problem again was with Sam Donaldson. But again, Sam Donaldson wasn't anything like Jim Acosta. Mm-hmm. Not, not to this level. And I do, I do believe that after Walter Cronkite, and after Woodward and Bernstein, there are reporters who want to be... Um, remembered yeah as, like those yes people. you know it's it but you don't want to be remembered for the wrong reason no you don't you know but and i think to an extent like a dan rather is now sort of being remembered for the wrong reasons i will we can jump on that mm-hmm. but i agree like woodward actually made mention that a lawsuit is not you sent me that that article that oh, a lawsuit is not the remedy to the situation maybe being more serious about your freaking job and reporting is the answer. And that's something that sort of ticks me off. As as a journalism student and somebody who worked in journalism for seven years, like I have a, a, a specific appreciation for the for the industry and for the art of journalism. Like I understand it and it is really irritating to see reporters act in such a foolish way when they've riv- risen to a certain level. Like you You've sort of lost that. You've lost that focus on why you were here in the first place. Like you went to college. I went to college, and I, I remember all the journalism students uh, that I was with. We more or less had the same goals and ideals, which was we want to be the next Bob Woodward. We want to. We want to mm-hmm. have you know the, all the president's men feel to what we were going to do. We wanted to break these cases wide open. I mm-hmm. remember my turning point. Uh, for what I wanted to do in college was my high, my senior year in high school, which was year 2000, and it was during the Bush-Gore situation in Florida. And I remember watching Dan Abrams and this other guy who's extremely forgetful for a, a very specific reason because he couldn't compete on live television with Dan Abrams because they were going through about, it was a 66-page book or a 60-page book, and they were trying to find answers for the whole Florida situation. And they were live, and Dan Abrams kept sort of coughing and interrupting the other guy while he was talking because he was finding the answers. And it was inspirational to me. It was like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is a reporter's job is to get down to business and get down to, you know, here's the here are the facts. Here's what's going on. And, yeah, so that's why I, I jumped in and said, you know, I, I've always loved writing, and then that's when I wanted to get into journalism. Um, and honestly, the reason I got out of journalism is because I saw it was becoming, which is what it is today, which is, it's a clown show. Well, not only is it a clown show, but it, um, you know, the people who don't care for President Trump are going to defend Acosta, mm-hmm. but the people who don't care for the press, and there's quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. They're rallying behind President Trump, yeah. and they're like, you know, I mean, people are cheering. When when you cheer against the press, yeah, it says something. I mean, we already know that some people are going to be cheering against the president, but you have some right. people cheering against the press, and you know they're supposed to be working for us. Yeah, but when you have people saying or chanting CNN sucks, yeah, there's a there's a real reason. problem because. Yeah. You know, as much as we've talked about how 
the government is supposed to be a representative of us. Mm -hmm. The press is supposed to be a representative of us. They're supposed to represent us in, in a lot of ways and ask the questions that we don't have the opportunity to ask these certain people, you know, and, and figure out things that we, we don't really have access to. Um, and in a lot of ways, I feel that the press is felling us too. And we've known for a long time that the government continues to fell us, you know. And so you get the chance for electing these people out. Um, but you can't, you can't, you can't fire anybody at, at a, at a newspaper or at a TV station or a radio station or magazine. You can't say, Hey, fire that guy because, or that lady, because they're not doing a good job. Well, this is why alternative media is, uh, popping up everywhere. People are going online to get their news mm -hmm. and, you know, depending on your, your uh, political persuasion, you are going to. Head in that general direction. Let's say, yeah. you know, Drudge Report, they've got articles that you would prefer reading. Or if you're on the left, you prefer Huffington Post. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I heard on the radio how the ratings for the, the three big networks, when I, you know, when I grew up in the 70s, I mean, the big three networks, that was it. Yeah. You know, and uh, now the who watches the big three networks? Yeah. Yeah. And it's be, and people, they've sort of turned their trust over to, um, just like the the media outlets that you're saying, like people on, on YouTube, uh, liberal and conservative media outlets are like, yeah. I'm going to listen to these people because it seems like they're taking way more time to figure out things, um, than you know the the big three are, um, and that's just. That's just the way that it has it has evolved and it has progressed, um, and that's one of the things that I noticed. Uh, so I graduated college in 2006, and that was sort of at the height of it was close to the height of when journalism and newspapers started shutting down, or newspapers and magazines started shutting down, um, because you had the crisis that happened the following year. So. Um, you're talking about the stock market? Yeah. Okay. And dude, all as many, like you saw all those banks close, dude, there were newspapers that were just shutting down and it wasn't so much just the, the crisis, the economic crisis that took place, but it was the internet that had really taken over and the newspaper, the, like a lot of big newspapers didn't get, keep up. They're like, Oh, well, everybody's going to want a newspaper in their hands. Uh, look, you don't have to see that far into the future to know that, hey, you're going to have to adjust accordingly. And so with the rise of internet and online media, mm -hmm. dude, newspapers started shutting down. I was like, well, I really picked a fine time to become a journalist. So now I'm, what am I going to do? Because yeah. there were just tons of newspapers and magazines that were shutting down. Um, and that was your, your way up to say the, the big three or jumping on to the New York times or the Washington post or the wall street journal, you know, the places that you wanted to be. Well, if the Houston Chronicle went down today, <clears throat> would people miss it? Exactly. I mean, you can still go to some of the uh, local stations, uh, channel two, 13, 11. Um, and then there are other, there are other media outlets that mm -hmm. you can go to. And who, I mean, look at pictures of people back in the day, in the, in the 60s, the 50s. Everyone's reading a newspaper. Mm -hmm. Now everybody's got their little smartphone. Yep. I mean, who 
do you see out there reading a newspaper? Right. Exactly. And and the thing is, is what else started sort of sucking the life out of journalism is social media. And so everybody wanted their news via Twitter, yeah. via like 140 characters or less. And that mindset has infiltrated and stayed within media organizations. So back in the day, man, you got full-fledged, you know, researched material put into the newspaper or the magazine, and then that's where you, you got what you needed. Now it's, uh, okay, this is this is taking place, and it's all in, you know, now I think it's like 210 characters um, for, for Twitter. That's, your, that's where your stories are. And that has really hurt journalism because now journalists aren't spending the time that they need to do a ton of research and put everything together mm-hmm. and quote unquote take their time because with social media and uh, news is happening every second, you can't keep up. You cannot physically keep up with the news when you're continually just putting out stuff. You don't have to. You don't have to know about every single thing. Well, you know, with, uh, with the way journalism is today, there can be a story anywhere on the world, and we'll hear about it. Yeah. Instantly. And, uh, you know, there was, this is kind of going away from journalism. This has to do with photography. You know, photojournalism, back, though. Photojournalism. Well, you know, back in the day, and I had a buddy of mine who was a photographer, and he said, you know, back in the day, Assignments, they would they would fly them off around the world. We want you to go take pictures. Okay, well, thanks to the internet, thanks to uh, smartphones, now you don't, you know, being a photographer is not a good uh, profession because you can just take somebody's picture if they're out in India or mm-hmm. if they're out in some hot spot. Okay, well, someone right there is taking a picture of an event taking place live and mm-hmm. they're going to use that image. And I think that this is kind of how journalism has gone also. So, you know, if you look at your Jim Acostas, does Jim Acosta know the writing is on the wall? Do they know that their profession is is changing? You know, there, a lot of, you I know, there they was... they know that it's changed. It's changed dramatically. And now they're trying to keep up. I remember when bloggers started becoming not big, but relatively big, right? All right. And this is 10, 12 years ago. And I was, and I, I said it, like, bloggers are not going to be anything. They're not going to be trusted. They're not going to be read because people trust the media. People trust people who have been there and done that, know how to ask the right questions. Not anymore. Not or, anymore. Yeah. That, yeah. So the game has, has changed and it has been changed for quite some time. And... Acosta and, and people like him, they don't do themselves or their their comrades, if you will, mm-hmm. any favors. Um, so, well, you know, like this this last election, people on both sides came out. They basically shed the um, what's I can't think of the word. They they used to. I'm a journalist. No longer now. They weren't journalists. They were cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. You know, Fox had them. The other stations had them, where they were just coming out in just in a direct support of either Clinton or Trump. Mm-hmm. 
no, there's no point in in trying to pretend. Oh, I'm a I'm a journalist. Now yeah. it's I'm a cheerleader for such right. and such candidate, yeah. and people saw that. And a lot of people are tired of the cheerleading, yes, because you yes. can't trust cheerleaders. What cheerleading? I or I said you can't trust cheerleaders. Well, okay. Well, I'm an Aggie. I so used I to I, date a cheerleader. Uh, how would I know that? I'm, first of all, I'm just a, go with the statement. I'm an Aggie, so we didn't have cheerleaders; we had yell leaders. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you dated a, a yell leader? I, I did not date a yell leader. Come on, that was the military back in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> this is before "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." <laughs> well, before. No, but I mean, um, th- th- there's just no trusting. Yeah, there's, the, people do not trust journalists. Anymore. All it is is you're you're trusting the fact that they're they're on your side, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Like Fox and CNN. Let's just call those two. Right? Well, you know, MSNBC, they don't pretend that they're journalists. They they're basically talk show hosts. Yeah, and just admit you're a talk show host. I'll have more respect for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Maddow and, and Lawrence, that Lawrence guy and, and, and some of the others, I, I don't think they even proclaim themselves to be journalists. And I can respect that. Mm-hmm. But if, you, if you're going to go and tell people you're a journalist, you're a, you're a reporter, you're middle of the road, you're, you're there to tell the truth, and you're obviously not, then that's where people are like, you know what, I don't trust that person. Yeah. You know, Sean Hannity, Sean Hannity, he says, I am a talk show host. Yeah. I am not a reporter. Now, do I do investigative reporting? Yes. But we know where he slants. Yeah. He's made it very obvious yeah. which direction Extremely he slants. Extremely obvious. He didn't even Extremely. slant. He lays down yeah. on it. Yeah. So, and, and that's what's really annoying is when you hear somebody repeat, well, Hannity said this or Don yeah. Lemon said this. I'm like, dude, get out of here with that because you're coming from a specific side that is obviously maybe they're not lying but they're omitting a lot of stuff so and that's the that's the real issue i do want to ask you this question Mm -hmm. the first amendment says this congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press and I'll just leave it from there I wanted to say to read that out loud because we have the president doing what he did with Acosta right but the First Amendment says Congress shall not make any law abridging the freedom of the press so that's because Congress makes laws (laughs) correct so to an extent the president was had every right to remove the the press pass from Acosta. What do you think? Well, I think that's why the judge, uh, Judge Tim Kelly, didn't say that. You know, his his. I didn't catch the whole quote, but he he gave him a temporary. Um, I don't know if injunction or restraining order on the on the White House. He didn't outright say, "No, you can't, you can't stop this reporter from asking these questions." He did state that yes, the president can still ignore you. You can be completely ignored. That's on you. Mm-hmm. But 
he gave him his, uh, his uh, credentials back to go into the White House. You know, this, this also comes down to like the Dixie Chicks or, mm-hmm. or any other entertainer who says something and then all of a sudden they're being boycotted. Yeah. Okay, well, the, the First Amendment doesn't protect you from the public. The First Amendment doesn't protect you from losing your job because of private company. Right. Uh, this is very obvious. You know, the president isn't shutting down uh, journalism. He's not shutting down all reporters. Yeah. Now, he can sit and say, you know what, if you're going to misbehave, I'm going to walk away. Yeah. And then all the other journalists will be mad at that one journalist for what exactly. he did. And the thing is, it's really, it's not, it's not a chilling effect that, that could take place. Because, one, the President of the United States doesn't have to hold a press conference. No, it's not required. It, all, all, he, the President... Whoever is in office does that because they decide to do that. So there could be no more press conferences at all. And it's not against the First Amendment. We know that Fox News sided with CNN. Okay. But I think part of the reason is that Fox News realizes that if there is a uh, let's say if there's a, nah, I'm not going to say there's a Clinton, but if there's somebody else, say in uh, 2021, who is president, who's not very friendly towards Fox, they can be on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. So they see the writing on the wall. Yeah. And yeah, you, you need to give journalists some leeway. Right. But I, again, when they cross a certain line, when they cross that line of just being outright rude, mm-hmm. you're targeting the person. You're not, yeah. he's not... Here's where you have to worry. If CNN suddenly is shut down by the government, yeah, troops go in there, or or uh, you know, marshals, U.S. marshals go in there, confiscate their material, shut their computers down, shut the lights, lock the doors. Yeah, that that is against freedom of speech and, and pre- that freedom of the press. You would have probably ninety percent of the country. Uniting behind mm-hmm. CNN, you're always going to have that ten percent that you know. Yeah, but <laughs> but I, I myself, I I'm not a fan of CNN, but I would even oh definitely stand up and, yeah. and protest and say no, you, absolutely you can't just you can't, you do, can't that. do that. Um, but it's at the same time, people who are saying uh, he is. Um, is going against the freedom of the press. No, he could kick him out and keep him kicked out. The only thing that would be against the freedom of the press is if he censored, mm-hmm. like he required a censorship of what Acosta was reporting or writing or, or speaking. Right. That's when it becomes uh, an, a, an abridgment, if you will, of the freedom of the press. And you can't do that. So whenever somebody is saying, uh, he is breaking um, First Amendment rules, like for the president is, uh, you know, going against the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. He's not. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, what I'd really be worried is if uh, Jim Acosta had a, a suicide note with a bullet in the back of his head. Then I'd be a little, uh, okay, maybe. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you know, let's say old Putin decides, hey, you know what, hey, I can handle this. Hold the old Putin. That's <laughs> <It's> right. <laughs> yeah. Then we must ask 
the hard questions. Mm. You know, you know, and government censorship is is a scary thing. Like just that very idea. Like in uh, Venezuela. I mean, you get imprisoned for uh, asking the wrong question. There are a lot of countries in the world where you're not even allowed to ask questions, much less the wrong one, mm-hmm. you know? So we live in a country, thank God, that we're able to ask the question, whatever questions that we want to ask. And it, you know, it doesn't mean that they have to answer, mm-hmm. um, but we, we get to ask those questions. And one of the things, we had the midterm elections that took place a couple of weeks ago, um, and that was something that was like Beto and Cruz were talking about during the Texas Senate race. Um, and it was about the whole, you know, should we, should we relegate or regulate how, you know, like hate speech and what people say on, on Twitter and things like that. And Cruz, was, he was definitely against doing that. He's like, no, you just that's, you know, against the freedom of speech. That's trying to keep people from saying whatever it is that they want to say. Um, And Beto was like, well, we needed, you know, sort of come down against hate speech and different things like that. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. That goes against the First Amendment right there. Mm -hmm. Like, it's plain and simple, plain as day. And this whole idea that we must protect um, the people from the people is, one, a stupid idea. Um, and two, when you, when you do that, I prefer the crazies to be out in the open. I want to know who is nuts out of their mind. I don't want them sneaking around. So keeping them on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, keep them on there like the InfoWars guy. You know, I think it was, uh, Twitter and, you know, some of the podcasts, you know, and platforms, they, they took him out, Right. They removed him. It's like, no, keep that guy on there so we can know what he is saying and know what he's up to. It protects us. Well, there's also, there's a market for that person. There is a market for that person, and that's fine. And it's not for them to say. It's sort of like, you remember the Parkland shooting? Okay. Okay. That kid had posted a number of times on social media that he was up for doing. And a lot of these people that do these mass shootings end up saying things online. And it, they're red flags. If we can't have the red flags there, That's a very good hello, yeah. then we won't know where they are. Right. And I like to know where the nut jobs are. So I can steer clear of them. I did want to, and so that's why I'm saying like the whole government censorship situation where uh, we got to get rid of hate speech. Look, people, you're not going to get rid of hate speech because you're not going to get rid of hate because people hate people and people hate things just for this, just because they do. And you can't, you, you can't get rid of it. It's just the way it is. And it sucks. Yes. But that's just the way it is. So it's better to not have the blinders on. Well, again, it's it's who's going to determine what is considered hate speech. I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at Thomas Paine's Common Sense, that you know the King George could have said, you know, that is hate speech because mm-hmm. he spoke out against royalty. He spoke out against the aristocracy. Now. Are you, are you going to sit there and, and condemn? Okay, granted, yes, Britain did condemn the author. It was it was written anonymously, and there was a reason why it was written anonymously yeah. because uh, you know he was still 
part of the British uh, Empire at the time, and you speak out against the king, that was considered treason. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> you get hung for saying that. You get hung for yeah, saying that. You get hung for doing that, and uh, it's not the way it's not the way it is. And that's why that's that's there in yeah. our First Amendment, because yeah. that was one of the things that uh, our founding fathers like knew how important it was. Like the truth has to be told. And it, sometimes the, the truth is very opinionated. Um, and sometimes uh, even even lies are simply opinions, but sometimes we need to know what the other uh, the other viewpoint is. Well, the, the whole idea of uh, the government uh, determining what is considered hate speech, you know, if, if as anything that's considered criticism can be looked at as being hate speech. Right. So when you sit there and say, well, you you can't have criticism right there, you're. You're trampling on someone's uh, First Amendment rights. Yeah, because there have been quite a few presidents that I did not care for one bit, mm -hmm. and I spoke out against. And then when it, when it was a president that I enjoyed, then it was the turn of my political opponents who right. sat and. And you know what? I may disagree with what they have to say, but I will defend their right. Yeah, to and I think it's a beautiful right. To it have. is. It is. It really and, is. And one of one of the things I did want to bring up was. The whole um, freedom of the press situation. There was a landmark case, um, March 9, 1964. Obviously, this is during the, well, it's the height of the civil rights movement. Um, and this is New York Times versus Sullivan. Now, there was a police chief in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and there was the New York Times, obviously, that put in an ad by a civil rights group who was very uh, critical of L.B. Sullivan, this police chief, um, and the way that he handled people who were involved in uh, the civil rights movement and uh, protests. So he was doing things that were that were wrong, right? And, and a lot of the things that were in that ad that was taken out in the New York Times were accurate, but there were a couple of things in there that were not accurate. And so he got very upset. He sued the New York Times uh, and he won his lawsuit. And then the New York Times appealed to the Alabama Supreme Court and the New York Times lost that one. So they reappealed to the highest court, uh, the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court. Um, and the United States Supreme Court ruled unanimously in the favor of who? The New York Times. Um, and this is, this is, this is, this is sort of a game changer for journalism and government officials. Uh, and I got this from uh, the uscourts.gov website. It says, the court said the right to publish all statements is protected under the First Amendment. The court also said in order to prove libel, which was what Sullivan had said, um, which is why he was suing for libel, um, they said the court also said in order to prove libel, a public official must show that what was said against them was made with actual malice. Quote unquote, that is with knowledge that it was false or with reckless disregard for the truth. Now, Given that, it is, it's gotten to the point where people can say almost 
anything about a government official, and it may be off the wall and crazy, right? Um, but the government official has to prove that that person who did it did it with malice, mm-hmm. with malicious intent, and did not care that it wasn't true. Which sort of gets us into, I mean, I can tell you, I could talk about this journalism stuff all day. Um, but it gets to the point where we find journalists, and if you read the New York Times or the Washington Post or just about any other outlet, you always have anonymous source. Mm-hmm. And when you have anonymous source, you sort of, you are able to protect yourself against libel because if you never reveal that source, even if that source does not exist, you've never revealed that source. Mm-hmm. And you can always say, well, my source told me this. There's no way that I could know that this person was not telling the truth. Therefore, but at the same time, at a higher level, and I, I believe a much more important level, it doesn't create that chilling effect that CNN had mentioned during this Acosta situation. It doesn't create that chilling effect that... Well, geez, Louise, I mean, I, I got to make, I, I, one, you need to make sure that what you're telling is, is the truth, but it doesn't need to be where you're in fear of printing the truth or publish or uh, getting in front of the camera and, and telling the truth um, with, with the fear that there will be these repercussions from a government official mm-hmm. who is powerful like the president or a senator. In 1992, I lived in San Francisco, and I uh, I don't know, when were you born? 81. 81, all right. You might remember the Rodney King riots. Mm-hmm. I was in California during those riots. San okay. Francisco was uh, like the second worst hit city. Now, we had a uh, police chief by the name of uh, Richard Hongisto. He, uh, he was pretty harsh in certain areas of the city, because, I mean... It got crazy. Yeah. So um, he was accused of committing martial law on or imposing martial law on some parts of the city. Now, there was a newspaper called the San Francisco Bay Times. Now, they published a picture of his face on the body of a lesbian activist. And he was holding one of those nightsticks. And uh, the headline was, Dick's Cool New Tool. <laughs> And I remember that. Well, as police chief, he had some of his officers go around the city and confiscate as many of uh, that news of those uh, the newspapers. The newspapers. Yeah. They they were able to grab about two thousand of them and they stored them in a warehouse someplace. He lost his job. Yeah. Censorship. Mayor Jordan fired him. Yeah. I mean that was a clear clear violation yeah. of the First Amendment. Um, it was funny at the time. <laughs> it was funny at the time. <laughs> he at didn't, the Bay He time. did not find it funny at all and ordered his people to confiscate and he lost his job for yeah. it. And this is the importance of having these um, legal precedents that, that take place to, to secure our rights of the freedom of speech and the freedom of press. Um, and like we said, the New York Times versus Sullivan case allows us to criticize the actions of government officials without reprisal. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, I, I want to throw a book out there real quick. Um, I know I didn't mention this to you before we got started, but there was a book I read, 
I believe I finished it. Yeah, I finished it this year. Um, it's called The Bully Pulpit by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Um, I don't know if you've ever read any of her works, um, but she she's a she's great. Um, Never heard of it. Yeah, she's a history. Yeah, I'm sure you haven't. You're too busy reading the contemporaries uh, that have long passed us by. But it's it's a you got a problem with the contemporaries? No, I don't. I think they're very nice people, very contemporary. Wow. <laughs> they were there. But she she put this um, she put her book together um, about. Teddy Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, and uh, sort of as she quoted, or as it's known, the golden age of journalism, which references some of the the journalists that really like the mud, the, the muckrakers and people like that. So like Sam McClure, um, Lincoln Steffens, and Ida Tarbell. And so, who was that guy who wrote that book about the Chicago meat, uh, the jungle, Sinclair? Sinclair. Yeah. Upton Sinclair. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he was in that same. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that same time frame. Ironically, though, I have to throw this in real quick. Mm-hmm. Only a few years earlier, eighteen ninety-eight, we got into a war with Spain because guy wanted to sell newspapers. Hearst. Hearst. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yellow journalism. Power of the press. Power yeah. of the pen. Okay, you're um, saying. But it, and I, I encourage readers to go maybe buy that book. Um, it's called the bully pulpit and it talks about how these journalists were, were helping, helping sort of, well, the president Roosevelt and the journalists were sort of working hand in hand and they were able to expose a lot of corruption, uh, within, within the government, um, within, uh, corporations, uh, and within unions as well. So it's a, it's a really great read, but it just talks about how long these pieces were and how many months that these journalists, um, like Ida Tarbell, who was a female journalist who went all over the world covering um, all these stories and writings. Uh, young girls who are listening to this, like Ida Tarbell, go check her out. I I D A, um, check her out. But they would write these long pieces and. You know, people read the newspapers and it wasn't like they had everything else at their fingertips like we do. So they actually read these long pieces that would come out, you know, once a week and it would just be an ongoing um, informative piece on what was taking place. And it really changed how um, how governments were run, um, how unions were run, how corporations were run. And I really wish that we had the same appreciation um, for journalism like back in those days and even, you know, during the the Woodward days. Um, I don't think that's ever going to take place again in that realm. But I do believe that, like you said, um, the media outlets that have, you know, like on YouTube, like we, we are finding a, a much more uh, like a higher appreciation for what they're doing instead of what is being put out in mass by, you know, Fox, CNN, mm-hmm. Washington Post, New York Times, where it's just in mass. And, you know, people are not they're not really taking a lot of their time to, to no, cover this. a lot of people. I think uh, Ben Shapiro and uh, what's that guy, the Young Turks? Yeah. I mean, they're people are going to both of them for uh, for. Yeah, opinion, millions of views. not just yeah. news, but opinion. Right. Um, okay, they can interpret things. 
and say, okay, this is our take on mm -hmm. an event that's going on right, right now. And, you know, um, whether you support the left or you support the right, I think the fact that you have the Young Turks and you have Ben Shapiro and mm -hmm. all these guys, I think it's, it's great for um, not so much our democracy so much, but our freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as, as always, we want to finish on a scripture. Um, and I ran across this one in Proverbs 31 and 8. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Um, and that is really what journalists should be doing for the American people. Um, that is their job, is to speak up um, for other people. They should be speaking up for the American people, not showboating, not clowning around, not making a scene, but actually taking their job seriously and going after the truth. Reporting the news, not being the news. Yes, indeed. So, without further ado, we're going to call this one a show. Um, so, listeners, if you get an opportunity, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Wherever you are listening right now, whether on Spotify or Stitcher or Apple, Google, wherever else. Um, also, go check us out on our social media platforms. Where are those? Well, let's see. There's Facebook. There's Twitter. There's Instagram, YouTube. Yeah. And we even have our own website. We do have our website. It's called thesonsofhistory.com. And hey, if you want us to come talk to your organization, or maybe if you're a teacher and you want us to come talk to your students about historical matters, um, give us a holler. You can reach us at thesonsofhistory at gmail.com, and we would love it to come out and give you guys a chat. So, without further ado... Yeah, I want to mention one thing real quick. He wants to mention one more thing. <clears throat> if you know a vet who has a story to tell, oh, yes, then let us know. We are in the process of interviewing many famous and not-so-famous vets who have a story to tell. Yeah. And we, uh, we need to preserve it for posterity. And if you haven't listened to our last podcast episode um, for Veterans Day, go check that out. It's a great interview. Um, with Alan Joaquin and Colonel Charles McGee. So anyways. Of the Tuskegee Airmen. Of the Tuskegee Airmen. All right, everyone. Um, well, we won't be talking to you until after Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving. Take care and uh, God bless. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you want to end it on a scripture, right? Okay, here, here's well, my take on it. There you go.